Some of you may wonder, why, why did he pronounce Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene? About 40 years ago, when I was going to seminary in my home parish in San Mateo, the Archbishop of Canterbury came for a visit, Michael Ramsey, and he preached a sermon and said in his sermon, Mary Magdalene. And I thought from now on, that's what I'm going to say, because I didn't want to be the last priest to cultivate some kind of affectation. <laughs> Happy Easter to everybody. And those of you who are new to St. Luke's, you're welcome wherever you find yourself on your spiritual pilgrimage. We're very glad that you are here. Every Easter at the Great Vigil and on Easter Day, I preach about uh, the fourfold shape of the Easter liturgy, which constitute, in one sense, the, the worship predicates for the whole of the Christian year. They're a template that we can lay on how we understand our worship. Episcopalians have a Latin maxim that they use. Don't know why it's a Latin maxim in the English church, but it is. It came, pro probably the reason is that it came from Prosper of Aquitaine, who lived in the 5th century A.D. So file that on ice and you never know where the when it might be handy, right? Lex credendi, lex arendi. The law of belief is the law of prayer, or what we believe we pray. So it's not glib to say to somebody, if, if you're asked, what is it that, the, that Episcopalians believe, to say, come to the liturgy. And you will understand that because, you know, the worship of the church came first. The church is prior to the scriptures. The church is prior to the scriptures. This in no way denigrates, denigrates the centrality of the biblical witness. But it's important to understand that chronology. Within the first two centuries of Christianity, three things emerged. In this order, bishops, the baptismal creed, which we're going to say in a little while when we renew our baptismal vows, and the canon of the Holy Scriptures, last. And we get our standard of what it is that we believe, Scripture, tradition with a capital T, and our human reason and experience uh, from that historical uh, base called the three-legged stool. So the first part of the Easter liturgy and the first prominent thing that we notice when we look around during the great 50 days of Easter is the presence of the Paschal candle, which is the symbol of the presence of the light of Christ, the illuminative processes of God at work in the world, both externally, showing us the way, and internally, shining the light of Christ on our dark places, but more affirmatively on all of those aspects of our character that permit us to be able to share our special wisdom with other people, practical wisdom. 
and to receive it from others because we begin to see with greater clarity. As an external symbol, the early uh, Christians understood this to be a symbol of the pillar of fire in the wilderness leading the people of Israel. It was a symbol of that as well. And so the light of Christ is a symbol of these processes of enlightenment. The second part of the Easter liturgy and through the great 50 days and then for the rest of the year, we'll hear particularly from the Hebrew Bible, from the old, what we call the Old Testament, about the history of salvation, about God's presence to the creation and how God has never left. God is always here with us. Professor Sean Kelly, the uh, chair of the Department of Philosophy at Harvard, uh, would like to be a Christian. And he's speaking about how uh, he is uh, becoming a student, both of our sacred literature, but also of our practices, to see how important they are and what it is that human beings might learn from them. One of his concerns is that he believes, uh, in addition to being a philosopher, he's also an uh, expert on uh, neuroscience and how we, how we understand this, how it relates to computers and all of this sort of business. And he tells a story in a YouTube video that I saw about a contest every year called the Turing Test. Alan Turing, you know, the, the, the man who worked at Bletchley Hall and broke the codes in World War II. And this is a, a, a test where uh, a person attempts to write a program that will trick the computer into believing he really is a human being. So the conclusions that they have arrived at now is... There are a couple of things that we could say. One is that we can write a program that will trick the computer into believing you're a human being, but maybe it's because we become more like the computer. And he believes that that uh, has some implications about how we understand ourselves and how we understand our humanity. So when he was talking about the Hebrew Bible, he said, This great narrative, the narrative of the history of salvation, provides us with the knowledge that as an individual and as a people, we recognize, this literature delivers up to us the recognition, the knowledge, that God has care for us, that we have a covenant has been established between God and the people that he made, that gets made between God and us, the knowledge that the world is a place that we have stewardship over and that it is our obligation or duty to take care of it. So the history of salvation is important in that regard, but it's important in another way too because the early Christians read their sacred literature, which was originally the Old Testament, and began to see that it not only involved them as a people, but that their own personal history was part of the history of salvation. Your history is important. It counts. And God needs you to fulfill his purposes for the cosmos. 
And part of our sacred literature indicates some of the ways and the means and the practices by which we can touch that and understand it and make it part of our own personal history. So the biblical witness is, is very important. The third part, the third shape of the Easter uh, liturgy uh, is baptism. One of the great triumphs of the liturgical renewal 50 years ago was that it put back at the center uh, the centrality of baptism and its importance and began to once again reaffirm that baptism didn't just constitute cosmic spot remover. Are you following me? It's been a long time now, I have to say. I've been a priest for a while, and it has been a long time since I have got the phone call that said, uh, my husband and I are flying back to Brooklyn to see my family with our new daughter, and I'd like to have her baptized so if the plane crashes, she won't go to limbo. So we've moved from there, and at our best, we're trying to understand that baptism is your initiation into the body of Christ, God's welcome to you, and maybe more important, the bestowal of the Holy Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen you. Father Thomas Keating would say, we are not God, but our true self is God. And by virtue of that, we begin to touch that divine center. By the way, Father Thomas Keating, he's the, one of the founders of the contemplative prayer movement, says that the Easter season brings to us three great theological concepts. God's light, God's life, and God's love. And by virtue of that, we understand something about who God is, but also who we are. So baptism is at the center, and if we don't have any baptisms on a given Easter day, then we renew our baptismal vows, which we're going to do in a few minutes. And finally, the fourth part is the Holy Eucharist, receiving the spiritual food and drink, which empowers us, strengthens us, and gives us the ability to meet the demands and the challenges that are in front of us on a daily basis, week to week, month to month, year to year, this is an important thing. So if we understand or have some idea about this template, and we're maybe intrigued about uh, engaging in some of the practices, I've been reading for the last couple of weeks from the 17th century French philosopher Blaise Pascal. He said, uh, this isn't uh, really ap appropriate to the sermon, but... One of his great quotes, in my opinion, is, if the secrets of all human hearts were known, there would be no two friends in the world. <laughs> but I mention it because Pascal says, you know, he, he made a wager. He was a mathematician, but he gave up on math. I'm kind of sympathetic to that myself. And... Uh, in so many words, he said, uh, this is probably important to do. And if you don't uh, believe it, try it. We would say in our day and age, fake it until you make it. 
That might be important. In the 18th century, an Anglican bishop named William Butler wrote a book called The Analogy of Religion, and he said Christianity is probably true, so you should practice it and see, see what you think. Diana Butler Bass, who is a uh, historian of contemporary religious life in the United States, wrote a book about five or six years ago called Christianity for the Rest of Us. And she talks in her introduction about mainline churches, because the book is about the mainline churches. And why, why would she be writing a book about all of this? And she said, during the time that I have been tracking mainline vitality, evangelical voices have grown louder and more insistent that they and they alone are the true Christians, the ones with true doctrine, true morals, and true politics. When people asked me what I was writing about, I typically responded, the other Christians, the ones you don't hear about in the media, the quiet ones. And she suggested that what uh, is delivered up by this tradition of which we're a part were, were certain practices, certain uh, things that identified us in ways that were affirmative. Openness, generosity, intellectual integrity, emotional integrity, the importance of beauty, and the necessity of justice. As it turns out, Diana Butler Bass is an Episcopalian. <laughs> so that helps too, right? Alan Jones, the former dean of Grace Cathedral, uh, talked about uh, in a book, a wonderful book he wrote a few years ago called Common Prayer on Common Ground, A Vision of Anglican Orthodoxy. And he talks about what Episcopalians do and how they do it and why he believes it's uh, commendable and he wishes to commend it. The willingness to question joined with deep affirmation. The intuitive understanding that the Christian life is both inward and outward. The unique appreciation of the uniqueness of the individual together with the value of what is corporate and traditional the ability to speak with the old authority and the new culture, the eagerness to be spiritually honest and not willing to disguise the element of conflict in our relationship with God, the openness of a discerning heart, one that knows what matters and what does not. I want to say a couple more things about that. Uh, there's a Greek word uh, for this called adiaphora in Greek. And what the, what it's, how you'd translate it into English would be matters indifferent. So in our lives, both as institutions and in our interpersonal relationships and in our belief in what is essential and non-essential in the Christian faith and life, that issue of adiaphora continues to come up. And I think that we need to labor on a constant basis of trying to figure out in a conversation with one another what is adiaphora and what isn't. 
And so Alan Jones is talking about something that is very, very important. The remarkable capacity to hold together things often believed to be separable or cause or posed to one another. Have you ever in your life felt yes and no at the same time? Emotionally? And living with that, uh, that tension? And beginning to understand that perhaps... Um, we're moving away from black and white thinking uh, is beneficial to your personal serenity and clarity of thinking. That's what he means when he talks about that. And also that in institutional life and in family life and other, we can, we can still be together and not agree. That's okay. Because a lot of the disagreement may be Adiaphora. Easter is an invitation to all of us to embrace the possibility of new life and transformation and in the intentional communities of which we're a part. My bishop for many years, William Swing, used to say that he believed in the resurrection because he has experienced resurrection in his own life and seen it in the lives of others in big and small ways. That experience, joined to the reinforcement we receive from the community of faith, is what helps us find God present in the everyday and gives us the ability to be the transparencies and reflections of God's grace and love that we're called to be. Alleluia. Christ is risen. The Lord.